So a few years ago, um, I was telling uh, the story, this story that I'm going to tell you to an atheist friend of mine, and uh, and it goes it goes like this: We were in Nigeria, and um, we we bought this large piece of land. Or actually, the government gave us this large piece of land. We wanted to use that for farming and build a a, a, a food processing plant. We had all kinds of different things we wanted to do and. And one of the things when I was there, it's probably our fourth or fifth trip down there, there was this beautiful house um, within this circle of stones, these huge boulders surrounded this house. And it was maybe a 25-foot opening to get into this huge circle of stones where there's a house and a, a big chicken coop and um, just a, a, a well and all kinds of things that we could use. And, and we needed, we, we couldn't build on this huge piece of property yet. And so we needed a, a house that we could use for uh, a school for the kids that we were ministering to. We can start a chicken co-op. Uh, we wanted to build, uh, you know, um, aquaponics. We wanted to do all kinds of things, but we didn't have the, the resources to to do it at that point on a larger scale, this, would, this land would have been perfect. So while we were there, we were praying about it. And lo and behold, the guy who owns the property comes to the chief of the village that we're working with and says, hey, I'm, I'm open to selling this property. If anyone is interested in buying it, I want to move closer to my daughter, whatever the case may be. And he was a colonel in the army. And so the chief came to me and said, you know, uh, this person's interested in selling the property. Are you interested in buying it? And I was like, wow, of course. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. The only problem is we're in, Ni- we're in Nigeria and I wasn't raising money here back at church to buy the property. He was selling it to us for a certain amount of Naira. At that point, the Naira dollar was really good in our favor. I mean, really, really good, like $20,000 difference if we could buy it then instead of later on. He wanted about 45000 American dollars for this absolutely gorgeous, would cost you a million and a half bucks here to get it just for the landscape, if you will. Um, and we didn't have the $45,000, so we were all praying about it, and we called a few people back at home and said, won't you guys praying about it? Long story short, someone, not even in our congregation, someone outside of our church, really excited about what we were doing and wanted to be a part of it, gave $40,000 to the project. So we, were easy, we easily were able to raise the rest of the money with the people even on the trip. We ended up buying the land while we were there. All of this... <laughs> If you've ever been to another country and tried to purchase a piece of property in like a few days, it's almost impossible. We were able to pull that off. It was amazing. God's intervention was amazing. So I was telling my atheist friend this, and here was her response. She said, that's awesome news about the home in Nigeria. Congratulations. Congratulations. But regarding how the funds came about, I think you and I will have to agree to disagree. Your worldview tells you it's divine intervention. Mine says we should not confuse coincidence for fate. Good things happen all the time. So do bad. We subscribe meaning to them as we see fit. So that was her response to what I was telling her. I was trying to share with her um, what God was doing in Nigeria. Now, she wrote that, and she and I, and and, and many of you remember the series we did, Conversations with a Happy Heathen. That was Anne-Marie, and that's what she wrote to me when I was sharing her some of the things that God was doing in my life and in our ministry. So she writes that. Now, jump jump forward. Um, First, I want to jump backward about 30 years. 
So I'm 18, 17 years old. Uh, my friend Patty, I've told this story before, so I won't get into all the detail. My friend Patty, um, who was a part of our apartment complex, moved away for a few years. She was still in the area, and she'd come back and hang out every once in a while. She came back, and she was hanging out. But this time, she had started going to a church about six months before. So we're talking, and she's talking about this church she's going to, and she's telling me about God, and, you know, I didn't really know anything about God. I, not that I was opposed to God, I just didn't really go to church or anything, and I was kind of a hood and, and uh, you know, too cool for whatever. And uh, so she keeps inviting, and so I, you know, I, I wanted to go there, honestly, to get her out of this cult that she was in, because she looked, she was way too happy, okay, just way too happy about what she was talking about. So I was going to get her out of this cult, and so I decided to go with her. I went to church for the first time. I went into this house, and I was the kind of person who didn't like anyone behind me. Okay, didn't trust people at all, didn't want anyone behind me in school. Uh, my chair was up against the back wall and the bus going the back. Everything's in the back, so everybody's in front of me. So, so that's basically the way I was at that point. And actually, God intervened and used that uh, to his advantage because I got in that house. I went right to the top of the stairs. You walk in, you know, you have a kind of a place you can walk right up the stairs in the house. I went to the top stair with my friend and sat up there so everybody else could sit in front, and I could see what was going on, what these people were doing. They started singing songs about God. I thought that was cool, really. I thought it was pretty neat that a bunch of high school students would sing about God. I didn't have any problem with that. I didn't understand, you know, the music or anything, so I just listened. And uh, then the youth pastor came out, and he broke out some Play-Doh. You have to understand, I'm a senior in high school. I'm a hood. Um, I have a reputation. Uh, I don't play with Play-Doh, and neither does my friend. If we played with Play-Doh and anybody found out about it, they would probably, we'd probably get beaten up by all our friends back at the apartment complex. So I wanted to get out of there, in no uncertain terms, get out of that room. I couldn't, though, because I put myself at the top of the stairs. And worse than being people behind me was, pardon me, pardon me, excuse me, in front of 40 people and making a scene in front of all these people and drawing attention to myself. So I sat up there and I said to my friend, you don't tell anyone that we're doing this. I don't tell. We make a, a, a blood pact that we never talk about Plato ever again, okay? And the youth pastor said, make something that's significant to you, that you remember about this person. So we sat there, I made a football, I gave it to him, he made a baseball, whatever, and gave it to me, and, and we just, you know, stuck in our pockets, and that was the end of that, hoping that it would all be over soon, and people would start breaking up so we can get out of that house. Then something miraculous happened. Anne-Marie, the same Anne-Marie who wrote this, came to me, she was 16 years old, with about 30 or 40 smile faces on a cardboard box that she found somewhere, all lined up, and she said, we're all glad you're here. And that, that changed my life to such a point that um, I was open, I was open to coming back. I was never going to come back again, not because I didn't think about God, I just didn't like, I didn't want to play with Plato. And so uh, I didn't want to be there, but she gave me these smile faces. They were so significant. I have one. It's 35 years old, older than many of you in this room. If you ever want to know what Plato looks like after 35 years there, you can come and see it. But I have two or three of those that I kept. They're some of my treasures. Those smile faces impacted my life in such a way that it gave me, there was an openness in my heart to respond and come back to church to hear more about it. Okay, so smile faces in Anne, when I when I when I wrote to Anne Marie, she Facebooked me 30 years later um, from youth group, and that's when we got into these conversations. I first, one of the first things I wrote to her was, I want I want to thank you for giving me those smile faces because they changed my life. I want you to look up back to back ministry, self sustaining enterprises, Grace Chapel, and a few other things, and I want you to know that you're a part of you are a part of everything that's happened in my life. Not knowing at that point that she had. Kind of, she's a, she was an atheist at this point, um, didn't walk with the Lord at all, 
she said that she really never got into the God stuff in the, in the youth group. She kind of went along but never really believed. And, um, and as she got older, she kind of just drifted away completely. So I tell you that story because I just read to you what she said about God's intervention. Two months later, after she wrote this to me, she's in Disney. And she had to actually, I appreciate her telling me this. She's in Disney World. And she's walking along in Disney World in Florida. And she's enjoying the beautiful blue sky. And all of a sudden she sees a sky rider. And the sky rider is kind of writing something. You walk and you look. And you just walk and talk and you look. And, and when he's all done writing, what it says is, God plus you equals smile face. And for me, I was thinking, Eureka, God spoke to her heart. And the next thing that's going to happen is she's going to say, I fell to my knees and gave my life to Christ right there in the middle of. No, that's not what happened. Her response was, well, he would have written that if I were there or not. So my question for us this morning that I want to address is, is everything in this world just pure luck? Or does a perfect is a perfect God involved in helping plan our lives or help us in our everyday endeavors is it is it pure luck or is it a perfect god first let me say that no matter what i share with you this morning no matter how um, intriguing the stories or compelling they may be in the end it all comes down to faith i admit that i totally admit that so don't think you know i don't understand that faith is faith we all have faith whether you believe in god or not everything comes down to faith But I want you to keep in mind the biblical definition of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, it says this. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Sure and certain. Okay? With that in mind, I want to share another story with you. I'm 19 years old now. I've given my life to Christ after a lot of questioning, a lot of... I drove my youth pastor absolutely crazy with all the questions. He answered my questions to the best of his ability. And I'm 19 years old. I've given my life to Christ in a Memorial Day, 1980, on a retreat. And, uh, and so I'm sitting in a house. I'm in college now. I just started going to college. And I'm sitting in this little house that I was renting. Um, and every single year from like 13, 12 or 13 through 18, I would get what are called cluster headaches. I don't know if you ever had a cluster headache, but if you take a migraine and just kick it up about five notches, that's a cluster headache. These things are so bad that, um, that people jump out of windows, they kill themselves. It's just the, the pain is so excruciating. I remember just as a, as a kid just screaming into my pillow because I had no relief from these terrible, terrible headaches. Um, the last cluster migraine, whatever they call them, I had was so bad that my eyes swelled completely shut. I was driving in my car. I held my eye open with my fingers so that I could see the road. I was so, it was so much pain, I started to vomit in the car. I pulled off to the side of the road just to kind of get my bearings. It was so funny. A police officer pulled up behind me, and he asked me, hey, is something going on here? I said, I'm, I'm, I'm dying. I'm sick, and I'm dying. And he just said, okay. And he drove off. I'm thinking, man, come on. <laughs> Help me out here brother (laughs) but um it was so bad and and cluster migraines come cluster headaches come um usually the same month and it's amazing you can take a clock and watch the second hand at about 10 o'clock or whatever it is for that person you can you can feel them coming on with the clock i mean 10 o'clock rolls around there it is and it starts to pound and you're like oh man so 
I'm 19 years old, and by faith, I decided I used to go to the, I'd go to the doctor every summer. After a while, I figured out that if I took this certain medicine, that it would relieve the headaches, at least relieve them. So every year, I'd go get this headache medicine. Well, this year, I decided in my, at 19 years old, I just gave my life to Christ. I was growing in my relationship with Jesus Christ. By faith, I said, God, I'm not going to go get that medicine because I believe you're going to heal me. I'm not going to have these headaches. I believe you're going to heal me. June rolled around, no headaches. July rolled around, no headaches. August rolled around, no headaches. Haven't had a cluster headache since that time, since 18 years old. Never had another headache. Okay, God healed me of those headaches. Now, that was a prayer of faith. And something I've, I've noticed in my Christian walk, something I've noticed that God will intervene many times in our lives in, in, during seasons of our lives. And, on, and early on is a time where he really does this. If you're an older Christian, you'll back me on this. It's not just early in our, in our walk with Christ, but there are seasons of our lives where God intervenes in miraculous ways. And, and I believe that he does that in those seasons because there will be times where we're feeling alone, where, we, where we, we pray something and don't get the response that we want. And it's really during those times that we have to go back and remember the miraculous things that God has done in the past because he's not just going to come and swoop in all the time and do what we ask him to do and respond the way we want him to respond. And it's during those times that we need to recall the miracles and the goodness of God. In Job chapter, in Job chapter uh, 2, verses 9 and 10, it says this. He, Joe, I think Job says it very well. Here's what it says. His wife said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Look, listen to what he says. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. He reflected on his past. Job reflected on his past in the midst of his struggles. He's going through a struggle. It's not, there's, he's not getting the relief that he, has, that he has in the past from, from things that had gone on in his life. So he reflects to the past in the midst of his struggles. Job also realized that it is through the struggles of life, the difficulties of life, where we grow in our faith. And so he says, should we accept good from God and not trouble? Because he, what he's saying is in all of these things, good things can happen. God can bring these things about. Our lives can be changed by God in every area, in every situation. I've seen God move in powerful ways in, in, at so many different times in, in the ministry um, of this church, for example, throughout the years. And, and God has intervened through people and God has intervened through, through situations in such a way that it's very difficult for me as a human being to believe that all of this intervention, all these things that are happening in my life and the lives of the people around me are just pure luck or coincidence. See, if you don't believe in God, I can understand why you attribute the miraculous things or the really amazing things or the cool things that happen in your life, either to luck or coincidence or to yourself that you're you're basically you've done it yourself or or to the people around you. But see, I believe that God is real and active. And I believe that as he intervenes in our life, it is a part of a larger plan. And the reason I believe that is the evidence I've seen so in, in so many people's lives. And one of those people is Shannon and I. I asked her to come this morning and share a story with you. Hi, I'm Shannon Allen, and some of you may know and some of you don't know, but me and my husband, Jimmy, have adopted our three kids from Ethiopia. Um, We adopted our two sons, Bryson and AJ, in 2010, and we were led to adopt again like 
probably about 2012. So we began the adoption process again. We both really had it on our hearts to um, adopt an older child. And so we began to meet with our social worker and we told her that we wanted our age range to be 0 to 14. We really didn't want to put limits on God and so that's why we wanted such a wide age range. They didn't appreciate this very much because they don't like to ad- for our families to adopt out of birth order, especially put an older child above the older child that's already in the home. And so they really were kind of discouraging us from this. They also were concerned because we wanted a girl and we have two young boys in the home. So we began to continue to meet with them and she The social worker asked, have you asked Bryson, which would have been our oldest at the time, what he wants? And so we thought we would ask him and see what he said. So when we asked him, he said, absolutely not. Like, he wanted to stay the oldest. He didn't want an older sibling. And so we took that in consideration when finalizing our home study because he's already been through so much being adopted himself. So we thought we would go ahead and make our age range zero to six. I think he was seven at the time. Um, We were kind of disappointed because we had an older child on our heart, and we really thought this was God closing the door for us. And so um, we were working. They were finalizing our home study, and Bryson had lost his first tooth and was really excited about it. And in the more at that night, he put his tooth under his pillow, hoping the tooth fairy would come. So in the morning, he came to our bed, and he had his dollar in his hand, and his little brother was next to him. And I thought he was going to be like, look what the tooth fairy brought me. But he said, Mommy, I had a dream. And I said, what did you dream about? And he said, that God told us we're supposed to adopt an older sister. And I said, I think Jimmy and I were both going to fall out of bed. (laughs) And I said, really? How did that make you feel? And he said, okay, maybe a little sad. And so we talked about it more, and we waited a couple weeks, asked him again to make sure he was still feeling like this was God telling us what we were supposed to do. And we decided to change our home study from zero to ten. And... um, It was just amazing to see him put his feelings aside for what our family was supposed to do, like adopt an older sister. Um, And so even that is kind of like our age range was 0 to 10. We um, got a referral for our daughter, Faye, in um, March of 2014. And her age range said 9 to 13, which is huge. And they Mm -hmm. have horrible birth records in Ethiopia. So since her birth certificate said she was nine, she fit within our home study, and we didn't have to change our home study or pay the extra money that it cost to um, change our home study. And also, her and Bryson have the neatest relationship and are really cute together, and I think it's because God was blessing him for following what God said. Amen. That's awesome. Good job. Awesome. See, some people, um, some people reject the idea that God has a plan for their lives. They just, for some reason, they don't, they don't like it. After a long conversation of sharing how God had intervened in my life, I know I have a lot of atheist friends, and, you know, I, just, I like atheists, so I, I try to lead them to the Lord. But uh, one of my atheist friends, with kind of a smug kind of look on his face after I shared with him all these cool things that God had done and all these miraculous things, he said, yeah, he said, there's proof and then there's faith. 
There's proof and then there's faith. So let me, let me share another thought with everyone, especially people who have that mindset. Um, if you can believe that nothing created everything, why is it so difficult for you to believe that God can intervene in our lives? If, if, you, can, if you have enough faith, because that's what it is. You weren't there. There's no scientific backing um, as a matter of fact, it breaks almost every scientific law in existence. If you believe that nothing created everything, um, why is it so difficult to believe that a God can divinely intervene in our lives? Because here's the reality. There's proof, and then there's faith. And you certainly can't prove that nothing created everything, but you choose to believe that. And you, you choose to believe that with passion, I mean, really, with passion, but you can't prove it. So it's all faith. So I find that extremely interesting. I want you to think about this also. Just the fact that we exist, okay, is mathematically and by every other measure that you can use, impossible. The fact that I'm standing up here in February of 2015 and having a conversation with you and you can cognitively understand what I'm saying, that we're, we're, we're talking and Shannon's up here talking, you understand her, just that fact is, is extraordinary. It's, it's miraculous. It's impossible, if you will. Yet, here we are. So why is it impossible? Why is it so um, difficult for people to believe in divine intervention? See, to understand God, understand God's plan, you first have to understand God. He works in amazing ways through people's lives and through their experiences. And as he works through our lives and experiences, we grow as people, as humans. We grow, we change, and the people around us change because of those experiences as well. And because of the events that have happened in my own life, my trust, my faith, my confidence in God has actually grown. Now, I'm going to be honest. Belief is not always easy. God doesn't always, when I ask for something, God doesn't always just sweep in and, and intervene in situations where I'd like to get out of this situation or figure out a way out of it. He doesn't just sweep in and intervene. He doesn't answer the way I want him to answer all of the time. It's just not the way it is. But it's in those times where I draw on, I recall my, the faith, the, the miraculous, the goodness, all the things that God has done in the past, because there will be times where I, when I ask for something, I don't get it. There will be times when I pray for something, I don't get the response that I'm looking for. But it's during those times that I have to trust in what God has done in my life in the past. Let me ask you, why don't you give your children everything they ask for when they ask for it? They want it. Mean parents. Y'all mean. All of you are mean. They, they're asking, why don't you give your child what they want when they want it? Why do you discipline them? Why do, why do you do that? Do you ever intervene in their lives? Are there times where you allow your child to go through something difficult and not intervene in their lives? Because you think it's the best thing for them. Are there times where you set out a path for your child, hoping that they will follow that path to their own benefit? And think about that as a parent. That ever that ever happened to you? You do those things because you love them. And for the most part, as a parent, you know what's best for them. Right. So we as parents do that all the time. 
So it becomes difficult to try to understand why is it so impossible to believe that a God with an infinite mind has a plan that you with your finite mind cannot comprehend? Why is it so difficult for us to believe as human beings that a God with an infinite mind and infinite power can, can lay out a plan that's better for us that our, infin- that our finite minds can't really comprehend? You know, I ask, I ask more questions um, than people can even imagine sometimes. Because people say, well, you have faith, you have faith, you have faith. Yes, I have faith, but it's based upon evidence. It's based upon experience. I don't make everything in my life. I don't go, la, 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 la. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. New scientific discovery, la, la, la. I don't want to hear that. That's not what I do. I don't fit in things, everything into a nice little neat box that works for me and ignore truth. That's not what I do. I've asked more questions than most people have even considered. The only difference is, the only difference is with most people, I keep asking the questions. I keep looking. I keep searching. I keep, I keep studying to find the answer. And a lot of times I do find the answer to a lot of the difficult questions that I'm asking. God speaks to my heart. God through his word. God through nature. God whatever speaks to my heart and shares with me the answer to some of my really difficult questions. Or, like most people on the planet, I come to the realization that there are a lot of difficult questions that I'm asking that cannot be answered. They are beyond my comprehension, Christian or not. They're just beyond my comprehension. I love that verse in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this. The secret things are hidden with the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children. The secret things are hidden with the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children. There will be things on this earth you will ask that we are not capable of answering with our finite minds. I'm okay with that. Because I I may not be able to answer all the questions of the universe, but I have answered enough. I have enough evidence and enough information, enough experience in my life to look at the world around me and come to the conclusion that I can have faith in and confidence in my God. I know I can empirically prove that God exists to you, but that's why Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen me and yet still believe. He understood that too. Because even when he was here, they didn't believe in him. I love people say, well, God would just come down. He did, for goodness sake. And they crucified him. I mean, if God spoke right now to the entire world, a big voice from heaven and said, like, uh, some sentence about you should all love one another and stop fighting. It would take weeks before people would explain it away. Oh, it was some kind of whatever else. And we all know it was true. But then after a while, we tell it to our kids and they say, well, they're all crazy. They must have been smoking something that day. And that never really happened. So faith is faith. We're going to have we have faith. Everyone has faith in something. And I have enough information, enough and, and enough um, confidence in my God based upon what God has shown me in my life. See, I believe because I've looked at the evidence and I've come to the, the rational, logical, reasonable conclusion that God exists. I didn't turn my mind off and go into a little hole and pretend. And I didn't take some blind leap of faith when I gave my life to Christ. I stepped out in faith, yes, but it wasn't a blind leap into the darkness. I stepped out in faith based upon the evidence after asking and searching and praying and, seeing and asking God to reveal himself to me. 
See, I've come to realize, here's something I've come to realize. I've come to realize that most people who struggle with belief in God do so not because they study the evidence and it's come up lacking, okay? It's because they've realized if there is a God, that they have a moral, they have a a, a responsibility to be obedient to that God. And it is that that keeps people, it is that that keeps most people from coming to know Christ. Not that they've studied the evidence and found it wanting. It's because if God exists, they have a responsibility to be obedient to that God. Let me, let me share a, a couple other thoughts here. People will say to me, well, if there's a God, why doesn't, he always, why doesn't he answer my prayers? He does answer your prayers. Maybe not the way you want him to all the time, but he answers your prayers. I mean, what kind of parent would you be if every time your child asks you for something, you said yes? Think about that. They ask you for something. Hey, I want to eat brownies all night, you know, and I don't want dinner ever again. Sugar's better. Yes, that's fine. Go ahead. Right? The street looks like a good place to play. Yeah, go ahead. Right? All those chemicals under the thing. Why, why put a block on? Let the kids do it. For goodness sake, you guys are so, you are, you're so controlling, all you parents. You're so controlling. Let them do it. Go ahead and let them do it. Remember that movie, Bruce Almighty? The God character, Bruce, is, Bruce Almighty is, you know, mad at God. And so the God character comes down and says, okay, you do the, you do the job. And at one point in the, in the movie, he basically says, hey, you've got to answer these prayers. And so the Bruce, God, the Bruce character starts just pushing yes to everything. Yes, 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 yes. And it's bedlam. Everybody wins the lottery, right? Everybody wins the lottery. Everybody wins everything. It's, it's complete bedlam because if you say yes to everything, you know, and you know as human beings the response to that. The only thing is, it's funny when it's in a, in a film. It's not funny when you ask for something and don't get what you want. Just like it wasn't funny when you were a child or a teenager and you asked for something you didn't get, you didn't like it either. Now as an adult, you're sitting back, thank God my parents were a little more strict, but you understand it now. Then you didn't like it at all, just like we don't like it when God doesn't answer us the way we want him to now. But see, there are biblical principles that guide why God responds and doesn't respond to our prayers for certain reasons. There's, there's biblical principles for that. In James chapter 4 and verse 3, it says, When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. We need to trust that God has our best interests in mind. In Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, it says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You need to have and I need to have, we need to have an eternal perspective if we truly want to understand God's will and purpose for our lives. We have to have that eternal perspective. We cannot just think about it individually that God didn't do something right now in my life. I don't know about you, but there are times I pray for things and I think four or five years later, thank God God didn't answer my prayer. That would have messed me up completely. That was the wrong thing at the wrong time. And if I had it then, I would have wasted. I wasn't mature enough, whatever the case may be. But you look back and say, thank God he didn't answer that prayer. See, we'll never be able to answer all the questions of life. I understand that. I totally understand that. We're not going to be able to answer all the challenging questions of life. But in the end, I would rather trust that when I leave this world, those answers will be revealed rather than, my friends, rather than living in the emptiness of this world, living in a world void, void of grace and purpose and meaning and justice. 
You've got to understand, you don't get to pl- people love to play in the middle. Oh, there's all these paths of Jesus and blah, blah, blah. And they mix, they mix all religions together and they mix all these philosophies together and they try to confuse you with all the mumbo jumbo. But it's not that confusing. It is not that confusing. If there is no God, the alternative is as follows. Everything that happens in your life is pure luck. Everything is pure luck. It just happens. There is no purpose. There are bumper stickers that say this, but I won't say exactly what they say. They say stuff happens, right? It's on a bumper sticker. That's it. That's what it says. Stuff happens. And I have another atheist friend who said, yes, yeah, stuff happens. And then he says this. We were, and we're the ones who apply the meaning, the lessons, the grief, the worry, the gratitude, the laughter. It's just luck. And then we apply as humans all these other things to it. So let me be clear again. I've got to be absolutely clear. Okay, there is no middle ground. If there is no God, there is no purpose. It's just bad luck. Deal with it. The end. Don't play in the middle. You can't play. If there is no God, there is no purpose. Everything is just bad luck. You got to deal with that. And that's the end of the story. That's it. That's how it goes. Sorry to try to break the bad news to you. See, the problem is when you're dealing with people who are going through real suffering in their lives, like I have to do all the time. The idea to say to someone, the, the idea to say, oh, your child is dying of cancer or you had something horrible happen in your past, that's well, just bad luck. Stuff happens. That's what you want to say to them. They sit down and they share with you the suffering that they're going through and you say, stuff happens. And to say it the other way too, that'd be really encouraging. Yeah, that happens. That's bad luck for your genetics, so I guess weren't as good as someone else's genetics, therefore you pass it on. And uh, stuff happens, and I'm so sorry that your child and you, or you suffered, and you're going to die. But here's the reality. That's all a naturalistic worldview has to offer. Stuff happens. Bad luck. Coincidence. Such a shame. Too bad for you. See, God's will and purpose are not always easy to understand, but you can if you ask the questions and you seek the answers. You can't understand a lot of them. In Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 2, I love this verse. It says this, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. Just because God hasn't made it easy for you to figure out or me to figure out doesn't mean I can't figure it out. Just because it's not easy to figure out doesn't mean I can't figure it out. There are certain things that there, we go, oh, this is so hard. That's I don't understand. Keep searching. Keep looking. God's going to reveal. God's going to hide some things. So you, you know what the great, listen, here's a principle of life. I know we're going a little long, but hang in there. You'll live. Okay. So here's what you're trying to find, right? Here's the goal you're trying to reach. And you think, that's what I want to know. That's what I'm trying to find. But this is impossible to find out. You'll learn that later on. But here's the deal. The, the, I, the, you, you learn so much on your travel to get there. You learn so much. You grow so much. You change so much. Getting to that point that you should search, you should seek, you should look, you should ask, you should whatever you need to do because you learn so much. And a lot of the time, here's what God does. He has you searching for this. You get here and it's kind of a, you know, a glass where you can't get through, right? Glass ceiling, can't get through. But then you can look to your, your right or you can look to your left And you say, oh, that's where God wanted me to go. That's how God works. It's okay to search these things out. God's not going to make them all clear, but so many things are clear. But here's the bottom, here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. In the end, it's a choice. We all have a choice. We choose what we want to believe, but you have to understand, you have to consider the implications of your choice. 
You have, to, you have to, you have to, you can't play this oh, a little bit over here and a little bit over there. And I'll just serve, I'll just philosophically meander and I'll just pick a little bit of this and pick a little bit of that. It's baloney. There is a God. And if there is a God, here's how we live. There's not a God. There's not a God. Here's how we live. You can't. There's no gray area with God. OK, there is no. If there if you choose to believe a naturalistic worldview Okay, if it's all pure luck, there is no purpose in your experience. If it's all pure luck, there is no hope. If it's all pure luck, we're all in this together alone. If it's all pure luck, this life is a is a cruel cosmic joke. If there is no God, this life on this earth is a cruel cosmic joke. If there if it's all pure luck, there is no justice. Everything you've been through in your entire life, all the experiences you had, you, you attribute your own little meaning to them. That's it's just you attribute what you want to attribute to it. it, it who cares? And at the end, all the things that have ever been done to you, there's no justice at the end. There's no God. There's no just God who's going to respond. People just got away with it. They did that to you and just got away with it. It's just that's just the way it is. Bad luck for you. The idea that everything we go through in this life is pure luck is horrifying to a world of people who are conscious of what's going on around them. We live in a world. We, we experience these things. And to think that everything is coincidence and pure luck or just bad luck for you is insane to evolve to evolve and then to be left alone to suffer the whims of luck my friends makes our existence an inescapable nightmare you can play any mind games you want to but you take god out of the equation and that's what you're left with and let me quote okay Bertram Russell, one of the most famous atheists of all time, and his summation of life, because at least at least he had the courage to follow his 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 worldview to its logical conclusion. And here's his logical conclusion that the only sensible posture of life was one of unyielding despair. And any attitude other than despair was a mere seduction of the mind. In other words, it's, it is what it is. Stuff happens. Anything you attribute to it is a seduction of your mind to make you feel better about the reality that there's no purpose, there's no meaning on this earth whatsoever, and if you go through things, that's just bad luck for you. His words, not mine. I may not have the complete answers to everything that happens in this world, but my worldview tells me this in Romans 8.28. It says, and we know that in all things, all things all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. I am confident, I am confident that he, he, he will never leave me and he will never forsake me. And because of that confidence, I can have hope in this life and I can have hope for a future. Ravi Zacharias in his book, Why Suffering, writes this. The starting point of dealing with Pain is to understand, listen to this, understand and accept that there is a purpose to my life, your life and to mine. We are not just thrust into existence indiscriminately. Rather, we are here by divine will of our creator. Everyone has a choice what they choose to believe. We all, everyone in this room, everyone outside in this world can choose what they want to believe. You can choose to reject the truth that you were created in the image of God and you can hold on to a naturalistic worldview. But if you do at least have the courage, at least have 
have the honesty to realize, to understand the implications and the consequences of your choice. I, I, I found a quote, and I'm going to read it. I'm going to close with this because I think it is absolutely perfect and very difficult to argue with based upon the person writing it. Victor Frankl. He said, if we present, listen to these words, if we present mankind with a concept of man which is not true, we may well corrupt him. When we present him as an automation of reflexes, as a mind machine, as a bundle of instincts, as a pawn of drive and reactions, as a mere product of heredity and environment, we feed the nihilism to which modern man in any case is prone. Nihilism is a rejection of religion or, or moral values or, or principles, and often that there's no meaning to life. And he goes on to say this, I became acquainted with this last stage of corruption in my second concentration camp. Auschwitz. The gas chambers of Auschwitz were were the ultimate consequence of the theory that man is nothing but a product of heredity and environment, or as the Nazis like to say, of blood and soil. I am absolutely convinced that the gas chambers of Auschwitz and Treblinka were ultimately prepared not in some ministry or other Berlin, but rather at the desks and in the lecture halls of nihilistic scientists and philosophers. The bloodiest century in the history of humanity was the 20th century, where all these atheists ushered in the idea that God is dead. And if God is dead, man has no value. And if man has no value, my friends, watch out. Your worldview and your beliefs matter. They have implications. They have consequences. So the next time someone tries to throw something out to you that God doesn't exist, and here are all the reasons why, you can get this tape, listen to it again and again and again, and help them understand. Help them understand that they continue to believe this way, that here are the consequences of their belief system. There are consequences to every belief system. Be careful what you believe. Be careful what you choose as a worldview. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time that we can spend together. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, just to, just to come before you and learn about who you are. Learn about your truth. Learn about that, the, the fact that we are created in your image and there's a, there's a purpose and a meaning behind everything that goes on in this world and you're a God who intervenes in our lives. It is not just pure luck and coincidence. You guide and direct. Even the difficult things that happen, Lord, you could put your hand on those things and bring beauty out of the ashes. And because of that, we love you. We trust you. You are our God. We have faith in you. And we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.